0: Welcome to the Baseball Lifer Podcast. I'm Don Wardlow, your Baseball Lifer in residence. hope it's a good day for you. I'm recording this on Friday, the 16th of December. And it's going to be an interesting episode of the Baseball Lifer Podcast. The latest thing I've started doing, I started doing it last week, was opening with a few words of baseball as it is now, and then discussing baseball past. But today we have a unique opportunity with a nod to Mr. Dickens. We're going to take a look at baseball yet to come. Our guest, William R. Douglas, has written a novel with a truly fascinating perspective of what America, and what baseball might be 150 years from now. Think of that. So we'll get to Mr. Douglas and his book and his perspective on baseball future after we talk a little bit about baseball present. The Yankees signed Carlos Rodon, the left-hander, the best starting pitcher available as of now since the Mets signed Justin Verlander. So the Yankees signed Rodon to a six-year deal. And that was a move they had to make since Jamison Tyone left the Bronx and is headed for the north side of Chicago. He'll play for the Cubs. So what that leaves the Yankees with is a pretty good rotation now that they have Rodon backing up Jarrett Cole. Behind those two, you have Luis Severino, you have nasty Nestor Cortez, as his teammates call him. And then in the background, you have Frankie Montas and Domingo Herman. Herman, as it stands now, would be the first man the Yankees would turn to when somebody gets injured, as is inevitable in baseball these days. So that's the very latest of Baseball Present. We'll be back with William R. Douglas and his take on baseball yet to come. This is the Baseball Lifer podcast. On the Baseball Lifer podcast with Don Wardlow, my guest is William R. Douglas. He's written a book, The Death and Resurrection of Baseball, Echoes from a Distant Past, And it's been published by Woodbridge Publications. And William, thank you for
1: joining me on the show. Don, I can't thank you enough. It's a high honor to be on your show. Uh, I love your history. Well, Thank you, sir. You were a pioneer. Yes, I I was. Now, the book,
0: The Death and Resurrection of Baseball, to write a book like this, it seems we would have to have, you'd have to begin with a love for baseball, then a concern for baseball, and then a means of reconstructing baseball. So sure. let's take it in in piece by piece.
1: Tell me about your love of baseball growing up. Sure. Well, I uh, born in 1959, so I just dated myself. I'm 63, uh, came of age. In the '60s, uh, I think the uh, the fading glow of the golden era of baseball, I think, was still around. The baseball playoffs had not morphed into what it is today. And uh, I grew up in the in the era of uh, Bob Gibson and early Banks, Bill Melton, Kirk Flood, and all those guys. Uh, Willie McCovey back in the '60s, Willie Mays, and and uh Mickey Mantle was was still around, although his career was coming to an end and uh just fell in love with the game as a child and played a lot of sandlot ball with my my brother and and our neighborhood buddies of course uh collected uh gobs and gobs of tops baseball cards, and enjoyed trading those and looking at them for hours on end and uh just really developed a, a great love for the game as a child and the read
0: i'm getting says white Sox and cardinals as opposed to being a cubs fan because the the impression i've gotten is from chicago you're one way or the other you're
1: a white fox fan or a cubs fan yeah right so a, a funny story there uh, my brother and i had gotten our first couple packs of tops uh, baseball cards uh, i don't know we must have been I don't know, six, seven years old, something like that. And, uh, uh, we were looking at him, and, and then the question came up, well, who are we going to root for? And my brother, Scott, he said, you know, I'm going to root for the Cubs. And I said, well, you know what? I'm going to root for the white Sox." <laughs> so that's how, that's how all that started. So there's been a a friendly brotherly rivalry ever since that time. I remember when Bill Veck bought the white Sox. uh, uh, way back in the in the seventies, I know you've got a, a connection with one of his offspring, so that was that was pretty cool to read that in your in your story there. Yes, Bill's son Mike was my boss
0: for eight years of the twelve years I was in the minors. Yeah. Now we're men of an age. I'm going to be sixty in April. We, we came to adulthood, and and we both have concerns for baseball and they go back my concern really began around 2010 my concern for what is going to happen in baseball's future and especially this past season with the almost strike that we had I thought that I thought the strike if it happened would kill baseball in my own lifetime and I'm guessing the concerns that drew you to write this book the death and resurrection of baseball are from a similar kind of concern that i have and that i hear with people of my own age the salaries and the corporate greed and Uh things of that nature what what else concerned you and drove you to say i'm gonna write a book about not only baseball passing away but baseball coming back
1: sure so uh I'll give you uh, the the detailed answer. So a couple things that went into the germination of the story. The first was uh, several years ago, reading an article about games that kids used to play before the civil war of the 1860s. And those games are extinct. They're lost to history. No one plays them anymore. They don't even know the names of the games, much less uh, know how to play them. Uh, And uh, also uh, two influential books that I read, Uh, David Aikman's novel When the Almond Tree Blossoms which came out back in 1993 subsequently was updated in 2016 and then also back in uh, 2009 William Fortune's novel uh, *When uh, One Second After Um, the first one When the Almond Tree Blossoms is about a second civil war in America and then uh, One Second After is about an EMP attack in America. So those were all important inputs uh, behind the storyline. But but the big question is, you know, how does baseball die? And when I see uh, a couple of things, first of all, uh, I don't want to deceive your readers into thinking that I think baseball is going to die this year, next year, or, or 10 years from now. But in my novel, uh, baseball dies uh, in the year 2061, and which is 40 years from now. So, this is what I see happening that's concerning. Number one, uh, at the youth level, participation in baseball continues uh, a general uh, downward uh, trend. And there's, there's two main things that are contributing to that, um, that I see. One is the, the continual shrinkage of what's called uh, the house leagues or the city leagues which was you know the, the the baseball leagues that you and I grew up with playing little league and learning the game those continue to shrink in numbers. some of the leagues uh well should say some but a lot of leagues have disappeared altogether uh and the town where I live was a a town of McHenry northwest of Chicago by about an hour uh when my son was playing little league back in the the late nineties, early two Ks, there were three leagues in town and two of them have now disappeared. And the one that survives is not even half the size it was when my son was playing. Uh, the other thing is the, the, the growth in travel ball. Now travel ball is in my opinion, uh, while it's good for the kids that make the team, Uh, It is contributing to the downward decline in the popular sport with youth because what happens with travel ball, you've got a couple things going on. Number one, you have to try out for the team. And so it's only the cream of the crop that's making the team. And so the rest of the kids, uh, they have fewer options after that. I mean, if if there's no house league in town, then they really have no outlet with which to uh, learn the sport of baseball. Uh, the other thing is the cost of travel ball, which, by its very right nature, is expensive because you have uh, hotel costs and gasoline and food and lodging and everything else, and uh, uh, uniform costs and everything that goes with travel ball. Um, and so, because of that, you're automatically eliminating. Uh, lower middle income to lower income families from from being able to sign up their child for for baseball, and so um, you take all that together, and then you take the disenfranchisement that adults feel, that many adults feel towards the game because of, you know, they're 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 upset about the amount of money that's being spent or being made. Uh, There's a whole issue of gambling and what's going on with that issue with, with the sport. Um, and you mix all that together. And I think a re- it's a recipe for down the road uh, that you could actually see uh, the disappearance of the sport. Um, one thing I like to point out, too, is that when you have a diminishing pool of youngsters uh, being introduced to the game, Well, those youngsters, uh, if they become interested in other things like soccer or lacrosse or or video games or whatever, uh, they grow up to adults that are not fans of baseball. And so eventually you have a diminishing pool of fans at the adult level. On the Baseball Lifer podcast, Don Wardlow here. My
0: guest is William R. Douglas. The book is The Death and Resurrection of Baseball, Echoes from a Distant Past. Now, I've admittedly, I've only gotten to read part of the book, but what I have read, I feel it reflects an ultimate optimism that even if baseball managed to become extinct, that it could live again. And that's not an not an optimism i hear in a lot of voices you're a voice in the wilderness and a refreshing one how did you come up with the premise of showing this optimistic future for a game that could end its existence in our lifetime or in that of our generations
1: sure yeah excellent question Dan. so uh all the ingredients that went into the book so, you know the the articles about the First Civil War games just uh, becoming extinct, and the and the two books I referenced, and then the, all of the uh, concerns I have that that you share uh, for the long term viability of the sport. They all they all came together into basically two or two or three what ifs. What if baseball were to die? How would it die? Uh, and what if there was a second American Civil War? So in the book the second civil war begins uh, in the year 2061 and it basically acts as a proverbial nail in the coffin for the sport of baseball. Uh, uh, The sport's been dying uh, at that time for several years prior. Uh, There's a three-year strike at the professional level that really turns off huge numbers of fans and. the in the last year uh, before the war starts, I mean, baseball is literally on its last breath, and then it, and then it dies when the war starts. So the premise of the story is that a uh, hundred years after the <clears throat> after the war is ended, a twelve-year-old boy by the name of Joyce Joe Scott goes exploring in the woods one day and uh, finds a relic that winds up having a connection with the game of baseball. But at the time that he finds it, he doesn't realize this, but it, it comes out later. And so this uh, this relic that he finds uh, <clears throat> really begins an adventure for him and uh, his buddies, and they wind up, uh, or he winds up becoming the focal point at the rediscovery of the sport and reintroducing it or attempting to at least uh to America and in the meantime you know baseball uh for many people has always been a metaphor for america itself and so the rediscovery of this sport uh by joe uh scott and, and his attempting to bring it back uh has a lot of uh has a lot of symbolism for America itself at the time in, in the story, which is still recovering from the war, there have been other books positing a second
0: American Civil War and being quite graphically detailed about it, but you are optimistic with the boys being able to explore and taking taking that risk and you know having adolescent fun rediscovering this great game.
1: Yeah, so a couple things there. Um, I intentionally wanted to make this primarily a baseball story, uh, a kind of a combination of, of Sandlot and uh, coming of age and a little bit of the feel of Dreams in there. It's uh, just a, a joy to read. Um, I wanted to remind the readers of their childhood days, especially if they, if they played ball when they were younger. Um, But the Civil War is is there not as an active event in the storyline, because it's 100 years in the past uh, for the characters in the story. But it's in there uh, kind of uh, intentionally to uh, get the reader to think about where we're at currently as a country, especially with all the divisions that we have. And to really get the reader to think, uh, you know, very, very soberly upon the subject, and, and hopefully foster conversation amongst one another about how uh, how we can learn to agree to disagree, how we should, you know, take a step back from the rhetoric that you hear everywhere in the country these days. And uh, and do all that we can individually and 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 as united citizens to make sure that this second civil war is is, is portrayed in the novel never actually takes place. So, uh, but again, uh, primarily the the stories about baseball and is meant to be entertaining, but there is that serious uh, threat of an undercurrent in there. Uh, that hopefully uh, is instructive for the readers.
0: As much of the book as I've read seems to be written at a level which teenagers could appreciate, and we have Christmas coming. Would you suggest this as a book for teenage reading, or are yeah, you more absolutely.
1: aiming? Yeah, absolutely. It, it's designed to be uh, for uh, 12 and up uh, readers, um, it's all age levels, really. Uh, I think even younger kids than twelve would would enjoy the read. It's a good clean book. Uh, there's only one cuss word in the whole in the whole book, and when it occurs, uh, one of the characters uh, chastises the person that utters the word. So <laughs> it's a good uh, good clean read. Um, one thing I also wanted to put in there uh, has been the been uh, kind of a family dynamics or reset that comes out uh in the novel as you as you get deeper into it i think you'll see that Don. but uh uh one important aspect that i purposely put in there was uh the importance of of the family dinner and how that's kind of become a lost thing in america and in the book uh, the family dinner is very important where on a nightly basis there's an there's an hour that's carved out every night and, and people gather around supper table and they break bread and share each other's uh, 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 tales of, of, of uh, and the days uh, triumphs and tra- tragedies and in and, and the mundane as well. And uh, it's that time at dinner table that I think uh, uh, at least in my own childhood was very important. And uh, foundational towards uh, a good and happy childhood. And can be again. Uh, I think if if Americans would uh, put a stake in the ground, say, you know what, we're not gonna we're not gonna do dinner by by frozen meals or fast food lines every day. We're gonna have to figure out a way to carve out the time and gather as family, and, and again share in one another's days, how how things went and be there to encourage one another and lift each other up. I agree with that. I'd love to see that come
0: back again. Last question for William R. Douglas, the author of The Death and Resurrection of Baseball Echoes from a Distant Past. When you got the idea in your head that the book should be written, what was the process from Writing the book to
1: having it on the shelves or on amazon yeah sure good a uh, good question um you know I've always enjoyed writing throughout my life i've I've been involved in the i t field for thirty plus years and had the the pleasure of writing documentation and web web page copy et cetera et cetera. I've done newsletters and all kinds of things and uh it was always on my list to write a book so uh all these elements that we spoke of earlier in the podcast came together uh in 2016 and uh i said you know what I'm just, it's time to sit down and and, and and write my first book so i sat down in september started writing uh in september of 2016 and finished in uh, september of 2020 um there were fits and starts uh Along the way, of course, a couple of writer's blocks. Uh, I remember one significant writer's block came along and I actually drove out to Dyersville, Iowa and uh, spent about six hours uh, uh, pitching and throwing and hitting at the Field of Dreams. And then when I was done, uh, I felt re-inspired. I, I had my laptop with, I sat down in the bleachers at the Field of Dreams and was pounding out all of Chapter 6 and a portion of Chapter 7. So um, I had help along the way. I I assembled a team of uh, beta readers and editors. And eventually I went out on uh, Upwork.com and hired a professional editor as well as a professional book formatter to uh, get the book formatted and ready for publication. So help along the way. But I think uh, the big advice would be is that if, if you want, or have a mind to sit down and write a book is to just go ahead and start. And then, uh, you know, have a, a small inner circle of, of uh, friends and family or professional colleagues that can help you along the way uh, by offering uh, critiques and advice, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Our guest has been William R. Douglas, the author of the death and resurrection of baseball echoes from a distant past. It was published by Woodbridge Publications, and it was released in April of this year. You can find it in your store or on the Internet. Uh, Mr. Douglas, I sure thank you for joining us on the Baseball Lifer podcast. Thanks, John. It's been a pleasure.
1: It's been a great pleasure.
0: Okay, we're going to try yet another ending for Episode 9. Baseball Pass, (laughs) the Baseball Podcast, Episode 9, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Don Wardlow back with you on the Baseball Lifer Podcast. We just listened to William R. Douglas, the author of The Death and Resurrection of Baseball, Echoes from a Distant Past. And it seems like by writing that book, Mr. Douglas asked the question that Scrooge asked of the spirit of Christmas yet to come. He asked, Are these the shadows of things that will be, or are these the shadows of things that may be only? In Mr. Douglas's imagination, the conservatives and the liberals finally found a way to begin a, a new Civil War, and they did it on the two hundredth anniversary of the original Civil Civil War. But as I say, going further in his mind, add another hundred years, and baseball makes a comeback, at least on a small level in a couple of cities, one in Illinois and one Dyersville, Iowa, the home of Field of Dreams. I hope you've enjoyed these episodes of the Baseball Lifer podcast. We're going to take a couple weeks off. We're going to come back in the new year on January 6th, the first Friday of January. We'll have the next episode of the Baseball Lifer podcast. If you have a subject you'd like me to talk about, if you've got a year or a team you want to hear about, say the 98 Yankees or the 69 Mets, some year of the Angels, some year of the Red Sox, you send it to me by email and I'll try to build it into an episode of the Baseball Lifer podcast. The email address here is don at com. So, you have my name, Don, at the baseballlifer.com. So, I'll be back with you on the 6th of January. And this is Don Wardlow speaking for the Baseball Lifer Podcast. Happy holidays, everybody.